This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. All right, man. We took a week off, and uh, it was a good Super Bowl. He sent me some cash, which was always nice. I always like to receive some cash from you. It's always a great way to start the day, my PayPal. Uh, I actually had to watch the second half of the game in the morning, but it, after the first half, I was pretty sure I was getting that PayPal, and of course I did. But let's not bury the lead here. Let's just cut right to it. That's small potatoes, that 100 bucks you sent me. The larger potatoes, the big stew, the big pot of stew, the cauldron, if you will, is as we're recording this podcast, Bitcoin is now at about 52300 near its all-time high, and... That's bananas just in and of itself. I mean, it was like, what, like 9,000 this summer we were talking about it. And then it's not just that Tesla bought in a couple of weeks ago and now has made more unrealized gains in Bitcoin than it made in profit Ten selling years. cars. Ten. Yeah, yeah, exactly, Ten. right? In a couple of weeks. Uh, BlackRock, which only manages $7.4 trillion in assets, says they've got a little piece. They've they've gotten a little bit involved. The Motley Fool, the investment website, just put yeah. in f- yeah. five mil, yeah. you know, the Motley Fool. And I, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Michael Saylor, who's doing this speculative attack on the US dollar, just is going to issue another 900 million in convertible bonds. So he basically issues the debt at like half a percent interest, takes the 900 million and buys Bitcoin with it, with his company, MicroStrategy, which is now the, like one of the biggest whales out there. And... It's only February 17th. I mean, this is just getting started. Yeah, supposedly there are multiple Fortune 500 uh, companies as clients for Coinbase. Uh, the Motley Fool is the fifth largest investing site in the world. It reaches like 90 million investors per month. So these signs are seemingly bullish, and it's, uh, yeah, exciting. Um, I think the only notes I took of this whole podcast was for me to complain about the Super Bowl, by the way, but we can maybe do that later. But yeah, this is, this is, is yeah, it's awesome, man. It's, uh, thank you for, uh, getting me into it years ago. And, um, it's, uh, it's unclear if this would have, I don't know, do you think the, the pandemic, you know, the black swan maybe accelerated this possible, but either way it is, it is accelerating fast, man. It, it's, it's, it's exciting times. I think it definitely accelerated indirectly because it accelerated the money printing, which then accelerated it. And people can now see the writing on the wall. And if your corporate treasury doesn't have this, this is going to be a big problem uh, because everybody else is going to have it increasingly. You can still front run the fangs because big companies are like airplanes. It takes a long time to steer. You need a lot of lawyers and compliance people to get something done. So... There's time, but you know, it's not like it's not a secret anymore. So it's crazy. The other crazy thing is, you know, the whole GameStop story from a few weeks ago. And that was a story of these hedge funds being short GameStop and a guy on Reddit figuring that out and buying it up and squeezing them and driving the price way, way up. And then they have to cover and keep buying at higher and higher prices. Well, apparently the hedge funds are incredibly short Bitcoin. And you think, GameStop, is that, you think that's a squeeze? That's like a gentle hug compared to what would happen. I mean, could you imagine being short Bitcoin right now? How insane that is? Like how dangerous that is? I would be like, I, I, this one guy I follow is, is Macroscope is his uh, Twitter handle, at Macroscope. He said there's, after the, like, the last surge, he said, 
like, there's bodies carried out of some of these trading floors uh, who were shorting Bitcoin, basically. You know, they've just gotten wrecked completely. Yeah, it's close to being a trillion dollar asset, and uh, it still feels like it's just getting started as well. I mean, it's, uh, I know as crazy as that sounds, <laughs> it kind of, uh, it kind of could be framed that way. So just the beginning, but, um, or at least, at least I hope so. But, um, well, I don't know, man, things, things but, happen, you know, you never, you know, we don't know, have all the answers, you know, it's still, still, but, um, man, we're just, we're just two dudes. So, 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 so incredibly bullish. If you really like, even if you like follow, follow more in depth, it just, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty, pretty optimistic. We're just two dudes who lose money in the super contest every year. We don't know shit, right? That's, that's all we are. But, I do think we have an edge, and that is curiosity is the edge. We just looked into it. I mean, I just looked deeply into it. And, I, and the people that are really costing their followers or the people that listen to them a lot of money are people who understand price movements of commodities and stocks and different phenomena, and they look at the uptick, and they said, this is a bubble. This is, this is tulips. This is something. Tulips is just dumb. That's ridiculous after you know what 12 years and that's just such like if you're still saying that you just haven't you haven't even made the effort to make a good you know fud fear uncertainty doubt but if you you know there's a lot of smart people who dismiss it because they've seen things rise really quickly and they just are dismissive because things like that are usually bubbles that pop and everybody loses their money but because those people just have a sort of a knee-deep understanding in it. They don't, they just look at it as if it's something else. But if you go all the way in, you see what it actually is. Well, we don't know for sure what it actually is, but you get a different idea of what it actually is. And then with that idea, oh, this isn't a bubble. This is the pin. This is where all the value goes when the fake value finally gets counterfeited, when these negative interest rates and artificially low bond rates, when that blows up, this is where the money goes. Yeah, even Peter Schiff is saying now he can't rule out it reaching 100, although he still thinks it will end up at zero. But um, it, uh, yeah, it's totally being curious, and I'm always uh, gambling with, with sports or fantasy sports or, or futures bets or whatever, and never got into the stock market. It's pretty funny going from zero to the most volatile uh, asset ever, um, and it's been, uh, it's been wild. And, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, definitely uh, an, an interesting thing for people who've been following along and, and especially when you compare that to the general media where you know not long ago even you know, on, trending on twitter there was an article saying bitcoin is dead because it had like a 10 percent pullback after going up 60 percent right and, and it, it continuously has and it and you read a lot of the the, the authors once you read it just or just come off as like uh, bitter. Um, I forget, like it's pitchfork, um, just eviscerated that band. Um, what's that band that sounds exactly like Led Zeppelin? I don't know. I know you don't follow pop culture, but no. anyway, like, uh, and then it was later revealed, like he was like a failed, like band member tried to join. So I don't know. It's just like, it's come across as there's like bitterness to the, to the authors behind it, um, of not being in. And, um, I can understand that, but, um, you can still get in now. No reason, no reason not to, 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 to just join now. Yeah, I think it's still early. I mean, again, as you said, we, we don't know. We can't predict the future. We could be wrong. But Bitcoin is gold, but transmissible across the planet in a second and programmable and storable easily, divisible much more easily than gold. And you don't have to verify it like gold. How do you know the gold's not fake or mixed with some fake stuff? So it's gold's market cap as a store of value is 10 trillion. It's also more scarce than gold. So gold's market cap is 10 trillion. So Bitcoin's 52,500 now. It's close to a trillion. 53,000 something gets to a trillion. 530,000, it gets to 10 trillion. It gets to gold. Okay. Well, that would be pretty big. A 10x, 10x means you're not too late. But why stop at gold? I mean, right. people are buying second, third, fourth, fifth homes. Why? Because they need to live in five homes? No. Because the dollar is not a good store of value, and they want to put it in something more durable, something that may hold its value, so they buy real estate. How much would real estate go down if the store of value function of it were removed? Real estate, a house, is something to live in. It's something to use. But it's also become a store of value. Uh, and so if Bitcoin were appreciated for the absolute store of value that 
doesn't get property taxed. You know, you get property taxed on your house whether you, before you sell it. It's one thing to sell your house and then pay a capital gain. That's fine. But you have to pay property tax every year before you even, even realize the gain. That doesn't happen with Bitcoin. So if people start thinking, you know what, this house, this extra house that I don't live in, that I rent out and pay taxes on, Bitcoin's probably a better store of value, and I don't have to like chop, the, cut the trees down, and fix the sidewalk, and fix the plumbing for my tenants, and get a new tenant in. All that stuff you have to do to maintain value from a house that you own as a store of value. If that goes to Bitcoin, okay, now we're talking about a hundred trillion dollars. Well, not not the whole real estate market. Half of it is probably store of value. Half of it is for actually living. And then what about stocks? Apple. You think people buy Apple because they really study the balance sheet or they're like, I don't know where to put my money. I'll just put it in Apple because it seems to be a good place to put it. How about index funds? You think people are really, oh, I really believe in the index funds. I really like the way the market's going. No, they're just like, this is where you put your money because you store your value there because if you leave it in dollars, everybody else who has stocks is going to lap you. What happens when that is not as good of a store of value as Bitcoin? So the ceiling is truly, you don't even want to think about it. I mean, it's five million, ten million a coin. And that may not happen for some time. It may never happen. But in terms of once you go down the rabbit hole of this thing is like a Tesla battery that stores your excess wealth and you can retrieve it because they can never make more of it. You can retrieve it at your leisure to use on a purchase that you might actually want in the future. Then, then the light bulb goes on. And it's like, holy shit. What else could this suck in? It's like a black hole. Yeah, you mentioned Apple. I'm just keep waiting for them to, uh, or at least announce that they're getting in. Um, and it's, it, this is all just right now with it with it acting as a store of value. And there's even the option of it becoming more uh, transactions if that Lightning network, you know, expands to its capabilities too. But yeah, I, yeah, all that store of value stuff. You said it perfectly. It's yeah. it's just, definitely and Greta Van Greta Van Vliet is the name of the band I was thinking of. But uh, yeah, man, this is incredibly exciting times for we've been talking about for for. Yeah, we've been talking about it for months, and now it's uh, actually happening. It's like it's tough for us not to uh, to open with it. It's, yeah, it's just it's the story. I mean, this is a this is a glo- yeah. I mean, if, if this thing goes two x three x from here, I mean, even in the short term, this is the story of the world. The, the, the world's wealth, the world's power, is being redistributed across the entire globe. And I think that's a good thing, you know, out of the hands of these oligarchs. I mean, some of them obviously own plenty, but a lot of just regular people got in. You know, it's not like the Wall Street guys are always first to every IPO, first to every big deal. This one, they're sort of lagging on. And so this is going to redistribute wealth and power to a large extent. And, and then it's it, people are crushed when their heroes uh, are failing, like a celeb. Oh, if oh. I follow, yeah, crushed. <laughs> you know what I'm. I was uh, off Twitter for five. Right? I was off Twitter for five days because I was just like I was. You know what I? You know what I realized? I, I had to get off because well, I have a, I have another account, like an anonymous account, uh, and I don't. I, it's just so that I can follow all these people that I want to follow and tweet at them and stuff. Uh, about so that makes four accounts to be. Clear. I have four. Have well, four yeah. I have four accounts, right? But I don't. I don't interact with my regular account. I don't like do likes on my regular. I don't. It's not related to my. Re- it's just like a private account where I can like ask questions, technical stuff. That burner I account, no doubt. Yeah, for I, it's, not, it's not a burner, but for like opsec reasons, I can ask like a technical question of somebody and you know, like a, one of the OGs and be like, Hey, I'm I'm having this trouble with this wallet or whatever. I can ask a question and, uh, and not do it publicly on Twitter, but I was starting to sometimes with that account, like follow and check out the, the timelines of, of no coiners or like, you know, the Nuriel Rabinis and Paul Krugman's and even Matt Stoller and a bunch of other guys. Yes. uh, Yeah. Ben Hunt and this guy, Prue Saxena, who's a good investment guy. I've used to follow him for investment stuff, but he was negative. And I would just be like looking at their feeds to just see the saltiness. And I was like, you know what? This is not a good use of my time. I'm taking a break from Twitter because I'm actually like Schadenfreude Twitter where I'm just looking, not like just seeing it in my feed, but actually seeking it out. And, uh, so I was like, okay, I'm going to take a break. So I took a break for five days. And then I was at a, uh, Sasha had a, a little birthday party just with one friend and I was talking to them. And one of the guys I'm friends with said, Oh, you, you see Taleb sold all his Bitcoin. And I hadn't been on Twitter. I was like, Oh, really? I was like, Yeah, I think he's a little salty because he and this guy, Safetyn, who wrote the Bitcoin standard, got into a little spat because Taleb was very concerned about COVID and safety and was like, this is BS, just be healthy, eat well. So they got into a huge falling out over COVID. 
And it almost seemed, I don't know for sure, because I'm just making this up, but it seemed like Taleb soured on Bitcoin because all the Bitcoiners, or a lot of them, were very like, ah, COVID is overblown, these lockdowns are terrible. And Taleb took it very seriously. And there was sort right. of a rift. And it almost yeah. seems, because Taleb is like kind of petty and, you know, he's, he's got a huge ego. I mean, he's a genius. I love the guy. He's a genius. I quote the guy all the time. I've learned so many things from the guy. But... It wouldn't surprise me if that were the reason. I don't know for sure. Again, that makes sense. That makes sense. And some people were questioning whether he really does that mean he sold it all. Um, And anti-fragile, someone hit him with a quote after because he was worried about the price volatility. And I thought was was funny. And that guy, Peter McCormick, who's great, um, got blocked immediately um, after saying something to him. But um, yeah, that was yeah, you missed that. Okay, so nice to know you were informed that you didn't what you missed because that was definitely. Well, I I didn't know. I didn't know that he was like, screw this. I thought he sold. You know, and yeah, that is disappointing. But, you know, all the, all the smart Bitcoiners. This guy, Nick Carter, he's a very smart guy, very sharp. He's the guy that debated that uh, Professor Plum guy. Very, very articulate. Oh, yeah. Former uh, boy bander, right? Uh, no, I was a making it joke. I oh, that was the name of the guy? No, it's not the same dude. This dude is like kind of a nerdy, like... He looks pretty nerdy, but uh, preppy nerdy guy. But he's really smart. It's not the same person. No. Uh, okay. Okay. I didn't know. I see. You know the names of people in boy bands. I don't. I didn't know there was a Nick Carter that was in boy <laughs> yep, band. Okay. Yep, yep, All right. Exactly. So that's the difference between you and me. But what happened? Backstreet Boys. Okay. Heard of them? Backstreet Boys. Well, my friend used to manage them. My friend worked for the company that managed them and used to hang out with them. And they were getting like a you know a hot dog at a truck in L.A. and like. A hundred teenage girls were swarming them aggressively. He said it was kind of scary, actually. So yeah, I, but I don't know. I didn't know their names. Um, anyway, so, I, I actually am proud of myself. I had to look it up to see what boy band it was. I was okay. looking it okay. up in the back. Uh, yeah, but it, anyway, don't, you, there's no salvaging the, the fact that you know who this guy is. Anyway, this guy was saying he was like, "Don't ever meet your hero. You don't want to see them on Twitter yeah. having the meltdown yeah. over something that you're like, oh, dude, come on. You're like the genius that the whole intellectual basis for believing in something like this is is anti-fragility and sort of the idiot yet intellectuals who are supporting the stupid system and believe that you can do modern monetary theory without consequences this is this whole thing you know he's the sort of intellectual foundation for so much of this and then yet he is selling and it's, it's kind of sad yeah no for sure it is so how did that go uh the the hiatus on twitter it was fine. I I was I found myself like logging on and being oh wait no I'm, I'm on hiatus so I didn't. Um, it was totally fine. I I wrote a story. I wrote a new Substack. Oh yeah, the that was uh, a good one, man. It was entertaining. That's fully like uh, I was engaged. Like I'm like very entertaining. Like I'm reading. Uh, yeah, uh, 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 very captivating. Okay, good. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's uh, just another uh, anti-utilitarianism message, basically. But so I I did that, and I don't know. It was mostly the same. I mean, it wasn't. You know, I started. I started listening to more podcasts. I started to, uh, you know, read. Twitter is it can suck up your time with like little headline type stuff. Whereas when you're off, I didn't know where to get news. By the way, I had no idea where to get news. But when you're off Twitter, you, you go to more. You go a little deeper because you you have things that you have to pay more attention to. Yeah, interesting because I probably would say I get almost all of my news exclusively through Twitter these days. Me too. So I, that, that's that's interesting. What are you going to go to CNN now? You're not going to do that. I didn't know where to get news. I was kind of out of the loop for news, but something happened today or yesterday. I think Glenn Greenwald reported on it that mm-hmm. that story of the Capitol siege where some of the protesters hit a police officer with a fire extinguisher who subsequently died. That was totally fake. Turned out that never happened. And you won't see it that many places, that correction. But that was like a huge detail because everyone else that died, the people, you know, one of the protesters was shot by a Capitol policeman and a couple other guys either had a heart attack or something else happened. But that was the only person that was alleged to have been killed by one of the rioters. So that was like a really important yeah, story. Yeah, I've seen the footage of the fire extinguisher flying through the air. Um, I have come across that a couple of places, but you know, I I, I dig fairly deep in news, and, and, and certainly not mainstream. So yeah, you aren't going to see that on CNN. That, that correction, and it doesn't mean it wasn't. You know, they sh- shouldn't have been in there, obviously. But it put it's very different, and I feel like yeah. from the beginning when I saw it, I didn't know what happened because. I'm not watching much of the footage. I'm not really paying attention that closely. I'm certainly not watching it on mainstream media. But my first inclination was, ah, this is way overblown. This is not, this is not what they're saying it is. And, but then the counter was, no, someone got beaten with a fire extinguisher. That's pretty serious. 
And I was like, well, yeah, yeah, that is kind of serious, but that didn't even happen. So it's like not watching keeps you better informed than watching is my point is like not watching and just having like your inclination. You could be wrong. Just sort of getting a, a couple of clips and your take from a distance could be totally wrong, but you have a better chance of being right than if you were tuned in to what they're saying about everything. Cause they're like simply making stuff up. Yeah. That, that is pretty crazy that they, that they made that up to the, and then the, like for sure the fewer people will hear that. I mean, this like, of course. I don't know if you followed along, but that slate star codex, his response is going to be read by far fewer people than the New York times kind of hatchet job on him. Oh. And speaking of the, the news, um, it seems to me like only a, a segment of people are hearing about like Cuomo is like a controversy recently. Yeah, oh my I God. There's some, I know there's some newness to that story, but if that is, if that is like suddenly any of that uh, news to you, then I would suggest expanding your news sources. Yeah. Andrew Cuomo may go to jail, right? I mean, this is, I don't know if he will, I haven't really paid attention, but he ordered old people with COVID out of hospitals and back in the nursing homes where it spread and killed thousands and then lied about how many people it was. And now, I think, I don't know if they can put this cat back in the bag. And what do you do with that? Now, it's very embarrassing because over the summer, I think some people were saying he should be running for president. He should be president. Uh, yeah. and, and he wrote a book about how well he handled the... Oh, he wrote a book. Yes, yeah. He literally did. So yes. This is incredibly embarrassing, you know, for everybody supporting him and all this. So they may try to just bury this, but... This is, you know, there's a lot of people whose parents died as a result of this. I don't, I don't know if this is just going to go away. So, yeah, I, this is a crazy, it's incre- incredible that he still has his job even. Yeah, no, it's bad. I mean, people have been, you know, criticizing his uh, moves on uh, for a while now. But, yeah, this is definitely getting full, full-blown attention and obviously horrible. Yeah, and, and, and coming out with hiding the numbers or whatever is uh, obviously not, not great either. So, yeah, that's obviously not great not good at all yeah all right so i don't know if you have anything else i'll I'll, I'll switch to sports i want to just say one thing before we do though is that you know i'm not the only person that this podcast involves obviously it involves you but also involves rotowire because it's who hosts it and i have partners and uh i i feel like i still have to justify this podcast to an extent to keep it going i mean i would just personally just do this talk with you talk about shit tell the truth as best as we can as, as we see it take on issues that seem relevant to us but you know it still has to succeed it still has to do well so we very rarely ask much of this because i don't like to and because honestly that's not what this is about i'm not trying to sell ads or it's free for now i'm not making money off this but uh this week in particular if you value this podcast want to see it continue indefinitely uh let your uh, voice be heard a little bit on twitter on the iTunes app, giving a good rating. Any, any other way you want to go public or tell people to listen to it, spread the word, uh, it would be much appreciated. A rare request, but one that I'm making this week in particular. You ready for a little sports? Talk a little sports? Yeah, real quickly, I just want to brag about my eating over the last couple weeks since we last talked. I had some excellent elk backstrap. Oh, that's I nice. had that. Um, it's, it's delicious. And, uh, my wife purchased an air fryer, which I'm playing around with a little, or, or should say she is, and that's fun. But the main reason I say this is cause I got the real deal and ordered some, uh, uh bones from, a a butcher grass fed and made homemade, uh, bone broth for 72 hour, hours and even scooped out the marrow on the inside wow. like, as real as it gets. So I thought you'd appreciate that. But, um, yeah, so I'm a uh, drinking, bone marrow broth uh that's been si- that simmered for 72 hours so thought thought if anyone appreciated it, it's you dude you're gonna be a beast if you eat like that like you're, you're gonna be like i don't know man i don't know what you're gonna be able to do because there's such a low bar to start with it's such a low starting yeah. point but you're gonna be a total monster if you eat like that i've been uh getting oysters i've talked about this we got this source of oysters they're a dollar a euro an oyster so but it costs nine bucks to deliver so we get 24 so it's 33 euros for a two dozen oysters and Sasha eats one or two. Heather eats like five or six and I eat the rest. I eat like 18 or whatever the, the number is, 16. And I've gotten good at shucking. I cut my hand a little bit last time, um, but it wasn't too bad. I've, I've jabbed into the air and just missed. And so I finally got a glove because it, you really will end up slicing yourself badly. But oysters, same thing. 
we just, I'm so jealous of you getting delivered like fresh fish oh, like they're that. They're so good. I, it is so I, high quality, so dude. And and you just squeeze some lemon on it and put this like Mexican cocktail sauce. There's this Mexican lady who makes tortillas and stuff that we get from once in a while. She delivers, and then uh, she had, we have this giant so, jar of cocktail sauce. Just a little bit of cocktail sauce, a little spicy with uh, lemon. And these things are they're the freshest oysters I've ever had. It's like going to a you know a five star restaurant and getting you know getting the best oysters you've had. Yeah, and the cocktail sauce is probably good because it has like horseradish, right? This doesn't. This is just Mexican. Oh, you got to go a little horseradish yeah. on the oyster. No, no, I, lo- I, lo- I love horseradish. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. just this lemon and the sauce together is perfect. If I had horseradish, I would, yeah. I would add it too. But it's, it's incredible. And it's also incredibly good for your health. All right. Let's talk a little sports. So there's two things. One is we've got to talk Super Bowl. You, owe me, you paid me 100 bucks, And, dude, I am telling you, and I'm a nutless monkey because I bet – I bet twelve hundred on the Niners last year on my defense theory that they're undervalued. The the, the better def, the really good defense is undervalued, and I was right for like fifty three minutes in that game about that. They totally shut down Mahomes, and then they just kind of fell apart. Uh, okay, whatever. I had to pay the twelve hundred, and then this year, being the nutless monkey that I am, I was like, eh, I'm going to bet on the Bucks because the defense. But I, I went small. I only bet one hundred fifty bucks total. So I'm down 1050, even though I was right, in my opinion, for, you know, an hour and 53 minutes out of the two games. Right, right. Okay, well, can I, can I just push back a little bit because of your behavior or attitude toward this? I think I heard Jeff say that the calls ultimately didn't matter. Uh, Kevin Clark said the Bucks would have won 17 out of 18 times out of 20 or something. Ted Bell did a victory lap on his podcast. So can I just, as someone who had money on the Chiefs, and by the way, I'm retiring. Uh, I'll, I'll do future bets in sports, but um, man, just after having the Packers plus three and a half in the coaching decision, and I already made my decision before the playoffs. So I'm like, I'll just do a little bit more here in the playoffs to, to finish it off. And that was funny having a, uh, being heavily on the Chiefs there. There were uh, this, this, this just, I don't know, off the top of my head, two shank punts, a muff snap on a punt. Um, and offsides on a fourth and five field goal attempt. Yep. Um, a horrible pass interference on Mike Evans where they clipped their feet. Uh, pass interference over someone 20 feet out of the end zone. And instead of that being a five-yard penalty, they put it at the one. Uh, Pat Mahomes was punched in the face. There was no call. Uh, Kelsey dropped a third down. That yes, he did. Yeah. Stopped the drive. Yeah. Uh, the Chiefs timeout. I still don't even understand what at the end of, at the end of the first I half. And then, and then that. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. At the end of the first half. Okay. Brady throws an interception that I, I, a very questionable penalty that was 38 yards away on the other side of the field. Uh, Tyree Kill and uh, Daryl Williams had touchdown catches hit off their face masks. Uh, by the way, it wasn't just off the top of my my head. I might have thought about those a couple right. times, but dude. This is KC team that is 24 and one the last 25 games. Oh, by the way, they're 24 and two the last 26 games, and they're two losses. I had them in Survivor this year and a bunch of money on them. In the Super Bowl. <laughs> so that's Mahomes' first game as a pro, lost by two scores. But so I don't know, man. I get it. Then you look at it, and it's like there was pressured like absolutely crazy. That more than any quarterback in NFL history, there was total. more pressure on Mahomes than there was on Tony Eason and Steve Grogan by the ninety-five bear, eighty-five Bears that stacked them seven times. Wow. This was a dominant performance. They got there with four, just like the Giants did to Brady that Super Bowl. They got there with four. Now Mahomes made some incredible escapes. That one off of uh, I think it was Demarcus Robinson's hands. You said Darrell Williams, maybe it was, I thought it was Demarcus Robinson, but somebody went off his hands the other one hit hill on the face mask on this crazy rollout escape and you, as you said kelsey dropped that third down i mean there was a lot of stuff and the penalties were cheap but brady had time to throw the running backs had lanes to run through you know who looked good was ceh he didn't get a lot of carries but he looked good and the the line of scrimmage was dominated by tampa now mahomes almost single-handedly did that and had all that stuff gone the other way it would have been a tight game but you know that game wasn't especially close yeah. Okay. I think there's a cascade effect and you're disregarding every single thing I just said. And, and all that happened with playing with the lead. And I personally think the chiefs win five or six times if they play 10 times, but most people would, would disagree with me after looking at that outcome. Um, no doubt about it. I, and, and can someone answer me this, that Andy Reed, you know, best, best coach two, two weeks off and all that. He's five man protection on 92% of the dropbacks. I mean, just, just zero, zero, uh, changing mid game. I mean, Mahomes scrambled for 497 yards before throwing or being sacked. That's the highest total since they started tracking it. So, I mean, maybe ever for all we know, maybe in the history of the sport, but, right. um, having, and then he had surgery on his foot right afterwards. So that's how sick that was. And yeah, the other thing is, you know, Andy Reed's son got into a car crash that left a, a five-year-old girl in the coma and he was, 
I thought he might have been wasted. He had been drinking. And so obviously that's weighing on him, Andy Reid, during the game. So this was just a terrible, the whole thing was terrible. I hear you that, you know, there is cascade effects and we can't undo it. And I wouldn't usually when there's one or two things that are a little lucky, but the game's a blowout, you're like, all right, well, whatever. There's a couple things. This is like six things. So I, I could see that a lot of things, if you unroll all of that and put the pressure on them, but fine, fine. But if you look at who dominated the line of scrimmage, and yeah, yeah. that was the story of the game. And the refs really helped out. The second half wasn't as bad, but the first half really was almost like that Pittsburgh-Seattle Super Bowl that was so bad that like I had bunny on Seattle, but I was like, that wasn't even a game. That wasn't even a thing. That was just a fake. That was like, what was that? That wasn't even anything. Yeah. Um, and okay, having said all that, dude, Tom Brady deserves so much props. I mean, 34 playoff wins, next most, Joe Montana, 16. Um, it is crazy that his defense, by the way, is now allowed. Uh, how many points in defense has allowed the last two Super Bowls up top of your head real quick? Brady's? Uh, yes. Uh, 12. Uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, okay. Yes, well done. You know, you know, I, remember, I, re- I remember that because... Sean McVay's offense and, and Pat Mahomes, they've allowed zero touchdowns. Yeah. 12 points, last two Super Bowls. Pretty good. You know why I remember that? I know that. It's because Rufus Peabody had some crazy bets, and one of them I was like the Chiefs scoring exactly 12 points at some absurd odds. And if they, you know, they had nine, they had the ball, but of course they were never going to get a field goal in that situation. But he's just saying, if they had, he would have won some crazy, he would have had some crazy payoff for it. Uh, Okay, hold on. So, uh, but Brady, he led the NFL in air yards per attempt this year. And like, look at how bad New England is. I mean, they, they led the the NFL in opt outs this this year and looked like, the dregs right now with a quarterback situation, uh, a very big question mark. So props to, to Brady, dude. I mean, he, he balled, um, at that age, it's just insane switching systems and the truncated off season. Um, by the way, I, I didn't get to give Jeff a hard time on XM. I just did a little backstage, but when he did the scoring, he omitted Brady's Super Bowl scoring. So I'm like, I, I don't know if he could be trusted from all of the, <laughs> scoring from the past. Thanksgiving, but I did. I lost exactly, but I lost by like, I think I was like 50 behind. So I don't, I don't, I don't not think Brady scored that much, but it was pretty funny. I gave him a little bit of a hard time uh, backstage, but prop, props to, to, to Brady and the bucks who, who dominated and, and, and cost me money all year. Brady. Wow, man. What, Ridiculous. Are they really going to be better? I, dude, bringing Leonard Fournette playing like that, the Super Bowl. Marshawn Lynch. Gronkowski catching two touchdowns. I lo- love that. I mean, it's just unreal. This is so, so cool. And, and if you read more about that, it's like that was an emphasize, uh, in, sorry, the, what's the word I'm like, improvised route that Gronk ran. And it was just, just crazy the chemistry those two have. So definite props to old man Brady. And Leonard Fournette was going down the Trent Richardson career path, and he steered it into the Marshawn Lynch career path. Remember, Marshawn Lynch was a bust. First-round pick, like 7th or 10th overall pick. I think Peterson was 7th. Marshawn Lynch was 10th. He was a bust in Buffalo. They didn't like his attitude. Spiller, they drafted Spiller. There was just Fred Jackson there. Marshawn Lynch goes to Seattle, has that beast, you know, beastquake game in the playoffs, which Leonard Fournette had a run like that against the uh, – who was it against the saints? Somebody he went at a ridiculous run against and then, or maybe it's against the Packers. I can't remember, but it was just one of those ridiculous runs. Yeah. And then suddenly he's a key guy in the super bowl for, and gets a ring in his second act, like four years into his career, five years into his career. So it's, it's very similar to Marshawn Lynch. We'll see if he follows up on it, but people forget that Lynch was a bust initially. Yeah, no doubt. Um, no, it's impressive defense too. They played a bunch of, of zone and um, yeah, it was uh, whatever. What are you gonna Mahomes? Yeah, it's crazy. He had surgery right afterward and ran around like that and was not and was not going down quietly. He's making some insane throws. Just uh, yeah, he's he's still remained pretty fun to watch despite the blowout. No, Mahomes is the greatest of all time. I, I know it's a crazy thing to say when the guy who crushed him just won a seventh Super Bowl, but nobody. If Brady were playing for the chiefs that day it would have he would have been he wouldn't have survived you know he would have been in the hospital by like the second quarter it just wouldn't have it just wouldn't have nothing would have happened it wouldn't even be like that but yeah brady is the greatest has the greatest career of all time by far and maybe in any sport i mean seven super bowl wins is so untouchable because you think 10 super bowl appearances is so insane and 15 uh conference title games but each one is harder than the next because if you have 10 Super Bowls in 15 conference title games, that means you're winning two-thirds of them against elite teams, 
right? So like, obviously it's harder to get to 10 Super Bowls than it is to get to 15 conference championships in 19 years. And then it's harder to win seven Super Bowls than it is to get to seven, to get to 10, because you're seven and three against an elite team. So each record is harder than the next. And he made the playoffs 18 out of 19 years. He didn't play really in 2008 because he tore his ACL in the first week. And his rookie year, he barely played. The only year that he really played that he missed the playoffs was 2002. So 18 out of 19 years, he made the playoffs. Okay, that's hard in the NFL. But 15 out of 18, he makes the conference finals. That's harder. That means you're 15 and three or getting a bye, which is hard. And then you're 10 and five in conference title games. And then you're seven and three in the Super Bowl. I mean, each record is, is another notch up. And even the first one is insane. So it's, it's maybe the greatest career in any team sport of all time. Oh yeah, especially yeah, it, it's amazing. A couple quick thoughts, uh, final thoughts. Uh, Bruce Arians, pretty funny when you hear about the stories. Like I guess uh, Brady, you know, was treated like basically shit by Belichick, like all, any of the other guys. And Arians like giving him off days at will whenever he wanted. So it'd be so different. The weather change and just being treated uh, completely one eighty. Um, and do you know that's the biggest loss by a team in the regular season? They lost thirty eight to three of the Saints by a Super Bowl winner. And finally. Um, I want this, I threw this out there, but honestly, how does Andy Reid, a very good coach, uh, just not change any protection? 92%, 48 of 52 dropbacks. They just did not have any extra linemen back there with what was happening and five plays with play action, the lowest in a Kansas city game over the last two seasons. It just seems weird to me. I mean, is that just whatever shit happens? I mean, how is there not any, uh, was his mind distracted? I mean, was he distracted because of the situation with his son or, what else are you implying? Someone's like, Andy, if you don't want your son to do 10 years, you're going to just call off no, the dogs in the second half. No, I'm not implying anything. I'm saying what is going on. But that's, uh, no, I, that's funny. Okay, there you go, Liz. I guess you're implying again. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just saying. That's a funny one. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, look. No, I, I don't know, man. I just It's just frustrating to, to look at that afterward after watching the game being like, okay, the clear problem here is a little bit of protection. And just, well, I mean, I don't know. It seemed like a, something you could probably switch up at halftime. Yeah, I don't know what that was. I mean, they were just which was an hour and a half, by the way. Which you, you yeah, you sat out, right? And yeah, you didn't I even watch till the zero interest in halftime, and the commercials were incredibly. I mean, yeah, bad. I, it was like it wasn't. It's just like remember they were just like trying to be funny, like those beer commercials, and you're like that's kind of dumb, but that was okay. It's kind of sure. just stupid, but. This is like, here's how the kind of person you should be. And I'm going to tell you in this commercial about this product. It's like, dude, this is really laying it on thick. I couldn't believe it. I don't watch commercials anymore, but I was like, this is really, this is going overboard. This is like some sort of parody that's going on. Yeah, no, it was bad. No, I agree. No good at all. Yeah, not at all. And, and commercials are so foreign these days. I mean, who watches commercials? Nobody. I don't watch them. I don't, I never watch them. So, uh, all right. A couple other things. The baseball is going to be dejuiced, apparently, according to Eno Saris. We talked to him on uh, XM, and he said, you know, it could be, you know, they're aiming for like 5%. The ball's slightly smaller, but it's also less bouncy. Whatever the, the coefficient of bounciness there is, it's going down. I'm probably not doing justice to the article he wrote for The Athletic. But in any event... You know, he said that in, uh, in in the KBO, they tried the same thing. They thought they were just reducing it somewhat, and the home runs dropped 30%. And I don't know what the result's going to be. Maybe home runs go up. Maybe they go down 50%. Maybe they just go down 5 or 10%, like he predicted, like most of the stats guys are predicting. But I don't think baseball really has the control over, you know, there's the, you know, this is Nassim Taleb, poor guy, fell from grace, but he said, there's, you got to, separate x from f of x so x is oh we just tinkered with the ball a teeny little bit so it shouldn't be much but f of x could be huge right yeah. a little input can have a massive output it could be a massive difference in output uh and so i think and so i wrote an article about this that given that we don't really know it might be you know pretty much not that much has changed but in the event that they tinkered and they don't really know what they're dealing with and i don't think they can in a lab i think it has to go out in the wild with real baseball players real parks that there may be an extreme change either the ball's lighter and so this it actually home runs are up 10 percent, or the ball's way dead and they're down 50 percent. that's not as likely but it's plausible and then i basically i cited you i said maybe you might want to do some extreme strategies just in case there's an extreme change of the ball, and then you clean up, win a huge overall contest. 
Yeah. Okay. The only counter I'd say just I would start off by saying I could see them changing midstream. Unlike Andy Reid, I could I could see the baseball just immediately being like, uh oh, too far down. The attendance is down or viewership, I should say. And then they go they change it like that. I wouldn't put that past them. But um, having said that, I don't know how to treat this other than yeah, I like the I, this is kind of the right year to have an extreme strategy anyway, right? With so much uncertainty in every pitcher who led the no one through hundred innings last year, right? So who knew who knows what's gonna happen this year? And there's also five more humidors, I guess. Um, right. although I hope I hope the, the the goal there is just to get uniformity of you know based on climate. But um yeah, I don't know. You tell me, does this I, I mean I'm gonna probably been sticking with my pitching pitching heavy category and um this could kind of even piggyback up your other column with the scarcity category what what would this make more scarce the dominant pit i, I don't i don't know i mean it would be would it make it more valuable the starting pitcher or, or not i mean i i don't know i hear you guys debate on xm and i'm i'm kind of just like right now treating it like uh as same as last year because i because I, I don't have a clue so I don't think we know what the ball is going to be. I think that's the folly to predict that, right? Because I think then you're just, you're, you're getting into something that's not really predictable. But the, the smart thing is to be positioned that if it is extreme, you're there already cleaning up from it. And you'll have some leagues that, oh, it's not extreme. If it, you know, okay, I lost, but big deal, right? The odds of winning or placing in a 2,000 person RotoWire Online Championship is slim. You want to get, I'd rather go in big on something. And then if it goes in your direction, you have a much better chance. So I, I'm willing to take that chance. But I was thinking the opposite. I was thinking going all hitting like you did last year. It, because right. no, they're, they're, that's what I'm right. That you could make that argument exact. Okay, continue. Yes, because, sorry. because I'm, I think that if the ball's, you know, let's say it's fifty percent down, suddenly guys like Matthew Boyd, who gave up thirty nine home runs in two thousand nineteen, but he struck out two hundred forty eight guys. His WHIP was one twenty three. His ERA was four fifty because he gave up so many home runs. Suddenly that guy's just getting flyouts. Uh, suddenly they're not giving up home runs. These pitchers. Suddenly you can start all sorts of cheaper pitchers, and they're not killing you. And you can stream two start starters. And the thing that's not coming out of the woodwork is bats. Like that year in 2019, I had a, a team, I think it finished 12th out of like 2000. And I picked up Yuli Gurriel for nothing. He was an absolute monster. I don't know if you remember what he did that year. Uh, Danny Santana was 20, 28, 20, batted like 273. I got Mitch Garver who hit 32 home runs as a catcher. I got uh, a bunch of guys like that. I got Brian Reynolds who batted 315 or whatever. I had just guys for free like that because there was so much hitting because the ball was so lively. Reverse that, and it's the pitching that's going to be there for free, and there's going to be no hitters to get. And so if you don't get those hitters in the top you know, seven, eight rounds that are crushing it, you're going to have you know, major deficits, unlike that year where the key was to have the pitching up front. Okay, that all might absolutely be true, and it makes sense. But really, to literally cite your scarcity category column article, I, I believe, but obviously correct me if I'm wrong, but wouldn't this kind of be the opposite, what you suggest there? If, if in fact, that does become the case, wouldn't there be more Ks, more lower ERAs, right. meaning that's what you would need more of? Well, you would need more of it, but it would also be freely available to you. So why pay big bucks for something you can get for free? You need a lot of it. But some of it's there for free. Now, you're not going to get all of it because everyone wants, everyone's going to be streaming and picking up guys who show a sign of something. But you can draft so that you have quantity instead of quality, and that quantity is going to turn into quality in an easy pitching yeah. environment. It's sort of like, you know, let's take it in the NFL, right? Like an environment where there's a good offensive line and good receivers and a good offensive coach. Jared Goff can be the greatest show on turf. You don't need to have Deshaun Watson to have an offense that leads the league in points. That, that's what I'm saying. In an easy environment, it, it takes a much lesser talent to achieve great results. In a hard environment, you better have Patrick Mahomes or Deshaun Watson or someone really good because even an average guy is going to get crushed. And so it's kind of counterintuitive, but when it's a hitting environment, you want to invest in the top pitching. When it's a pitching environment, you want to invest in the top hitting. Yeah, you know why I can tell why you're right is this do it conversely. Um, what if the ball just flew out of the park and there ended up only being like 15 to 20 starters capable of lasting six plus innings uh, regularly? And if I'm taking four of them and then right. no other ones exist, that would be ideal. So and, that would be the opposite of this of this scenario. So. And you'd have all these bats that were 
you know, for nothing. They were hitting the ball. Sand would yeah. be a surplus of those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So that yeah, what you're saying checks out. But here's here's the wrinkle is that if it were super pitching friendly and any pitcher will do, the super elite pitchers would still be the biggest difference makers. So you you still might want to get DeGrom or Cole in round one and then go like seven or eight hitters and then go cheap pitching because that might those guys might be so much better, you know, because it's going to be easier for them too, right? It's not like they get to. It, I just think that when there's the more uncertainty there is, the more extreme you should go in your draft. Yeah. I guess is my argument. No, that especially in overall contest for sure. So that's annoying because as you just pointed out, it hurts my strategy, and the lack of DH in the NL hurts my strategy, especially in the in the main event with 15 team leagues. So they're they're trying to they're hating on my my strategy for sure, right. making it more difficult with those with those couple of move decisions. Yeah, but who knows how extreme the ball is? As you said, even if we can kind of feel what we should we should strategize around it who knows the the actual impact i mean it, i'm with you it's totally up in the air it could actually boost offense <coughs> unintendedly because they made it lighter in in uh <coughs> the kbo was heavier so that helped explain not only yeah, to take the know. bounce out it was heavier but the mlb ball is slightly lighter maybe it'll it'll carry more Maybe it slightly affects the grips that the pitchers don't like, so they don't throw it as, as where they want it as much, and that makes more meatballs. I mean, there's so many other effects, second order, third order effects here, the, the possibilities. It's it's really hard to yeah, it's really hard to predict. Uh, it's kind of like the simulator. You don't want to be too. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to be when you tinker. You don't really know what you're getting on the other side of it. I just think an extreme strategy, it's always cool to do an extreme strategy anyway, because there's always uncertainty about the environment. We didn't get a warning about 2019. We didn't get a warning about 2017. We, right. we didn't really know. Right. It, but now we're getting a warning, and we know these people are not capable of fine-tuning this thing the way they think they are. No way. And I, but I actually think your pitcher strategy, this ball, it, what if offense is up five or ten percent from last from 2019? What if it's the, the biggest home run year ever because they made the ball lighter and they didn't realize? Right. And then all of a sudden, you know, you just are just cashing in. So I'm I'm definitely going to do an all hitter one though, pretty soon. And plus, I like a lot of the pitchers. I love Corey Kluber and Matthew Boyd and Eduardo Rodriguez and. All those guys you get in like round 15 plus. I hear you. No, I hear you. I, I totally hear you. There are upside pitchers still that remain out there for the taking that I uh, noticed with my other strategy. But I, I, the thing I still cannot figure out is, are the closers. It's it's crazier than ever because it's not just the, whatever, 49% of wins last year. The saves recorded or some crazy stat like that, half, less than half of the wins. But obviously it's dispersed at crazy rates. And now there are, little, what, there are five or six uh, closers that you could consider as full-time guys. And like, that's it. I mean, it's, it is really weird, but that means that make it traded. I mean, it's, 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 it's super interesting. If you're an overall man, I could see that getting them getting pushed up really weird, but it'll make sense. I'm going to punt. I'm not punt, but I'm going to take nobody before the 10th round because although I did take hand in the eighth and ours, but I, I really think that because everybody's weak, you don't need much. Two years ago in the main, hmm. I, I, I tied for second with Masada, which pissed me off because I had way more points than the overall, but we had a bet on just that league. And I, was, I had a good chance. My team just kind of fell apart at the end, but I still made money. That draft, I didn't take a closure to the 11th round or something, and I got Colome. No, I got David Robertson in the 11th. He was out for the year very soon. I got Arroydis Viscaino in like the 14th. He was out for the year before the season started. And I got Alex Colome in like the 12th or 13th. And only Colome, and he wasn't even that good. He had like 35 saves with like mediocre ratios, 32 saves. But I picked up Carlos Martinez, got me like 20. I picked up this guy in Texas for like eight. I ended up with like a nine or 10 in saves with just not a good draft for saves. And I didn't, but I didn't pay much for them. And I think that's the way to go. Don't use a top 10 pick, especially in the 15. Just get a few guys, hope that one of them gets you 25 or 30 and just hope to like scrap it out and get a nine in saves. Like I, I just think like getting a fourth round, fifth round guy in saves, a closer and foregoing an elite pitcher or bat is just a huge mistake. Yeah. I mean, in the overall, I, I, yeah, I hear what you're saying. It's not going to cost take as many saves. Um, man, the middle, the middle, middle land is tough guy. I've taken Ryan, Pre- I took Ryan Presley in round 10 and beat Chris Liss. And I mean, he could be out of a job as soon as Tre- Trevor Rosenthal signs tomorrow. It sounds like. So, um, I, I don't think I like dipping in the, the mid area either. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's a weird thing. So you think just vo- not the first 10 and then where you're going in the 10 to 20 range. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I like Kimbrell. I like Greg Holland. Well, yeah. I like all, you know, just got guys who have jobs, take them. Two out of three will probably, you try to get one and a half out of three. 
to succeed. Yeah. If you get one and a half, like you're good. Two. Yeah, I yeah. like a nutless monkey. I didn't take him my two, and I regret it. But you get one and a half out of three, and then okay, fine. And and then you you got to get the other the other half during the year, which you can half a closer in the year, and that's that's how I, I'm going to play it. I, I mean, I'm not, I'll never say never. If something falls in my lap, fine. But um, that's my idea. Yeah, yeah, it is weird though that we don't. Yeah, don't. It's so many unknowns of baseball this year. But throwing in the whole how the baseball plays is just such a silly variable in, the, in among many of them. Well, this is like the Fed, right? Like it's like, oh, what, what stocks do I buy? Where do I invest? Well, what's the Fed doing? What's the, what's major league baseball? The baseball, the baseball is the is the interest rate. It's the it's like the thing that controls everything. And so, like you're like, well, do I like this player? Well, I don't know. I got to see what the what the baseball does. I got to see what kind of baseball we're using. Do I like this stock? Well, I got to see what the Fed's doing. You know, you have to. Yeah, you have you have opinion of the player, but what environment are we in? So this is uh, it's a similar thing where the central centralized authority is basically going to decide half the value. Freddie Freeman in 2018, before they juiced the ball again, had like 23 home runs in 162 games. So you know that's a guy I'm not taking in the definitely not in the first yeah, round. Yeah, I, I know I'm in trouble because I have found myself agreeing with a lot of your takes on XM because yeah, Freddie, a first baseman without so doesn't steal. I get that batting average is underrated. I get that, but. Yeah, no, thank you at all for yeah, twenty home a couple years ago. Um, and uh, the guys you mentioned in round four is really what you want: the Bregman, um, uh, Vlad, uh, Devers, Devers, uh, those those guys for sure. Guerrero, I, I said I'd take them over Abreu, like you said too. Yeah. Like I, yeah, I'm, I'm with I'm with you on those. Like guys like Corey Seager, who's never healthy and doesn't right. run that much. I mean, he's a monster. Don't get me wrong; I love Seager. I mean, he's awesome, but. Um, I don't know. It feels like we're, we agree too much on the, those early round hitters. I, 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 yeah. DJ LeMayhew. Like, I mean, that's, that's come on. There's like a, a, a Randy, what's his name? Or Rosarena, that guy. And uh, Robert, who's got crazy tools, but strikes out a lot. And Kyle Tucker could be amazing, but he's right. been good for a summer or whatever. It's like, you got like Alex Bregman is that guy's pretty solid. I mean, he's been around for a few years and he's been, one of the best plate discipline in the league at 31 homers in 2018 during the deader ball, 41 during the, the juiced ball, better on the road than at home, even though the cheating scandal should have affected him more at home. So there's guys like that and even Rendon, who I typically didn't like, but he's just like a... Yeah, for he, sure, in the fourth now. Yeah, yeah, I mean, also, the problem with him is he's, he, he's at the age where he could, he could slip a little, but yeah, Bregman's the one that just keeps jumping out at me. I'm like, round four, this guy should be a second-round pick. Yeah, I don't know. Robert and a Rosarina, Rose I could be okay with there because they steal bags. But um, I, I'm, I'm with you mostly on all, on all the rest there. But um, yeah, so you're going to do another uh, beat Chris list then coming up soon or no? Yeah, I kind of want to do one soon. Uh, and the other thing we talked about in the XM show that we probably should have talked about more is so ADP now, right? It comes out right away. And also, so do the steamer projections. And Cardi, I think, gets his bat projections out pretty early. And people look at those. And yep. so you've got people looking at the projections. And it's influencing how they draft early. And then that ADP gets set. And the people are not only looking at projections, which are already baked into the current ADP, but they're looking at the existing ADP, which isn't a big sample. It's 20 leagues, 30 leagues. People start looking at ADP. So ADP is not independent. You know, When you have a wisdom of crowds, it's got to be a whole bunch of different people coming upon their decisions, making their own cheat sheets privately by doing research. And then the aggregate of those people is excellent. It's like so smart. But if you just have groupthink where everybody's kind of looking at everybody else's ADP and the ADP is just reflect, you know, it's just like it's, it's because of what it was is what it is. And then it is that because of the projections, which everyone's also looking at, the ADP is not that valuable. So you should feel very comfortable jumping ADP because it's not the genius. It's not like the wisdom of the market anymore. I think it's, and, and so our suggestion was they should just like not put out ADP from any of their drafts until like two months in. So then when they finally put it out, it's like a real ADP. It's still going to be tainted by the projections because, you know, people are still looking at those, but it would be less tainted. But it'd be incredible if everybody just, you know, went about their draft independently and then two months later you unveiled the ADP and you're like, wow, this is the truth. A couple things. That's an interesting idea, and man, I'm, I'm even considering doing an NFL draft on the the on NFFC here these days. And I'm definitely itching to do another baseball one. Uh, that would be crazy without knowing any of the uh, ADP. Um, you bring up projection system. Man, I uh, have a bone to pick with Cardi uh, actually because somehow Bauer uh, Bauer's whip went. All his projections got worse. I'm sorry with the dime, uh, sorry the Dodgers uh, significantly is 
whip somehow went from 1.16 to 1.24 or something, despite Dodger stadium having by far the best walk percentage in baseball and a lower batting average. And it's like a great part for that stuff. So I have a bone to pick with him. And I think he still has his projections that it's going to be a DH in the NL. And I do not believe that's the case at all. But um, anyway, I, I, I hear what you're saying. Everyone's using the same thing, especially with fan graphs, making it all just right there available for everyone. All, you know, all of them right there, steamer and ATC. It's great. I mean, I look at it. I'm, I'm curious sometimes, but it's a poison because you're not looking, you're not getting, if you were like stumbling upon this as the only guy using this, it would be incredible. Or if you were looking sure, at ADP that yeah. was organic, you'd be like, this is so valuable. I can't, how can I not use this? But you got to, this is super tainted, this, this stuff. I mean, the projections aren't, <laughs> but the projections also, you know, I, I would sort them into my value system, but they still didn't really account for steel scarcity and some things that happen in the NFBC. But, you know, they're valuable. Remember, those are also 50th percentile for everybody, which are terrible once you get out of, like, the second round. Because you're, like, in the seventh round, you're like, hmm, I could take, you know, and I did this, Paul Goldschmidt, or I could take somebody who could win the league for me, you know. And and especially when you get to the 10th or 12th round, I mean, it's the 80th percentile is the most important number, not the 50th percentile. Certainly in the 12th, maybe in the 15, it's a little bit later where that matters. But these these mean projections are, are a curse, you're going to be missing out on guys that just simply aren't projected for playing time or... Yeah, you know, I was see, a lot of guys are projected for 400 at-bats, you know, and they're not going to shoot off the screen for projections, but what if you project them for 600 at-bats, right. you know, like per bat or whatever? Right? They do that. They do have the steamer 600 and stuff that, that right. adjust, yeah, but, yeah. but then there's all these scrubs in there that are never going to get 600, so it's not... Yeah, yeah it's not perfect at all. It, that gets distorted. And then, and then things like David Price, right? Like, David Price could be, like, too damaged to really have a season, so that's baked in, but, like... If David Price is healthy, his his ERA, which is like four twenty or something, is ridiculous. Four thirty. I mean, I don't remember what it was, but like David Price is going to smash those numbers. But because he could be a zero, which he totally could, those have to factor that in. And it's just it's just not a good draft tool when you when you don't understand the nuances of, of how injured players have to be projected in their, their mean projection is not going to be very good. It's not their mean healthy projection. It's just their mean yeah. projection. No, I'm curious. I'm, I'm definitely biased here because I'm two for two uh, with Trevor Bauer. Um, but I've seen a lot of hate on him recently. Like I said, Cardi uh, definitely downgraded him after the signing. Um, but um, I, do, do they factor in the fact that I read some stuff before last season, him talking about how his personal records he was setting in the offseason, working out and all kinds of stuff. Um, does it factor in that he led baseball in spin rate last year and he's played with it and shown how quite clearly he can get spin rate magically whenever he wants? You know, are we factoring that in? Are we looking at his stats in 2018 and grading them like you would any other pitchers from there? Because I personally am not. I'm 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 personally treating the version like a monster who's going to lead the league in spin rate again next year. Yeah. Who just joined the Dodgers. I mean, the Do- how many wins could that I, record I, have? I don't I, know. I don't think the Trevor Bowers are the players uh, for which you want to turn to projection systems. Those you have to make a call because it's not, he's a very unique player. And I think the players that are more like the Goldschmidt's or the Freddie Freeman's or the Anthony Rizzo's, the projection systems are great with those guys. They got a lot of data. They're the same every year. They're not especially volatile. Uh, that's, I think they're better for those guys. They do worse with rookies because rookies are volatile. We don't really know who the guy is at this level and who he is as a major leaguer, how professional he is, how he gets off the plane and what his routine is and how he quickly adapts to that. So, um, I think the projections are just going to be better for this more stable players. And when there's volatility, the mean number, your average, it's another Taleb thing. You never cross a river that's on average four feet deep. You're just getting the average depth when you get the projection. You're getting them in their average performance. But players that have a lot of volatility, that average means a lot less than players that are much more likely to be around that mean. So yeah. use the No, there's a million them. aspects we don't even know about people's off-field issues. I mean, yeah. even COVID times right now. I mean, Jason Tatum's saying like it's still affecting him. It's a month later. I mean, we. I mean, there's so many, so many factors here. But yeah, projected systems in general, to be clear, million times better than I can do. And I love they. T- you know, they factor in so many. You know, minor league equivalencies and and all that stuff that they just. You know, so much data with baseball. So many balls in play to take into account. 
We'll put it this way. You can nitpick at Cardi's system, and you might make four or five bets against it and beat it. But if it could bet into your oh, projections, yeah. it would destroy you. If you had a bunch of projections and his system could say whichever ones were like the most out and make a bet against you, it would kill you. It's, it's a lot easier oh, to pick at, and pick at you know, their mistakes or weaknesses than it is to build a thing and have it uh, apply to yours. But even so, you know, that's... Who cares? You get to you get to pick. That's the whole point. Oh, you get to draft. Yeah, no, he's he's working his ass off adding in Statcast all the hitters. Yeah. He hasn't done it for baseball yet, but no, it's great. No, they're getting better each year, and it's it's freaking free. No, it's 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 great, man. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's it would destroy me if I tried. Yeah, it's a good resource. All right, man. Well, that's an hour. I think we're good. Anything else uh, you want to throw in before we sign off? No, just uh, yeah. Read your simulate simulator. Is that a, is that a, called a newsletter? Would you call that that? I guess it's because Substack is newsletters, so it's, it's yeah. called a newsletter. But uh, I just started. I started writing these weird parables and stuff. I was writing other stuff before, but just what came into mind. So yeah, thanks. Yeah, the simulator is my latest uh, Substack. It's pinned to my Twitter at Chris underscore Liss. Yeah, so I think I think newsletters are the future, man. I mean, it's like Jonathan Bales has an awesome one. I suggest every single person subscribe to that. Peter McCormack uh, is a good one for Bitcoin, and there's even like a closer one just dedicated to closers. I've discovered France baseball. So I uh, newsletters, man, it seems like a, a new thing. So, so yeah, enjoy yours. Substack's blowing up, and and that you can't really be canceled, and you get the email addresses. So you know the the platform can't take away your audience. You know, just with one uh, executive order. Um, so that's good. So yeah, check that out again. It's uh, pinned to my Twitter at Chris underscore list and, uh, go ahead and rate this podcast. If you enjoy it, spread the word, uh, let your uh, thoughts be known on Twitter. I know a lot of you have anyway, but I think this week, uh, it will uh, be important, uh, if you value it and, uh, hope it continues. So, all right, man, take it easy. I'll uh, talk to you next week. All right. Later, Liz.